Testing, testing. All right. Got our remote ready to go here. It's cold morning. Love it. Love it. That man still got his jacket on. He loves it. Look at that. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be here. Thank you for helping us arrive safely. We pray the same for those who have not yet done so. We pray that you would be honored. And what goes on here today as we talk about unity and diversity within the body of Christ, uh, as we read a precious letter to a beloved man named Gaius in the following hour, we pray that everything we do here would be pleasing and honoring to you, that the saints would be edified, glorified, that we would grow uh, together in truth and love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm going to do a, just a very, very brief review, a brisk walk through what we were talking about. Last time we were together, we were talking about how individual union with Christ, the primary subject of the Sunday School series, entails corporate union with Christ as the bride of Christ. And we said that union with Christ is the strongest tie that Christians have to one another, and that in some cases, frankly, it's just about the only tie. Every church has people who have a, 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 a members, and non-members, frankly, who have very little, if anything, in common with one another besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they had brushed shoulders or crossed paths in any other a context in life, they probably would not be friends. They probably would not hang out together. That's just the bottom line. But they are united through Christ. And that is a theme that we're actually going to see. I didn't plan this, but that's a theme we're going to see again in the sermon. People who otherwise would be strangers have a common bond. They have a common union with Christ. Secondly, as a result of that, um, as that, that or the second thing that follows from union with Christ being the strongest tie is that we shouldn't be willing to break Christian fellowship with those united to Christ, even if we believe them to be in error or we just don't like them. Also, in every church, there are people who just rub other people the wrong way. There are people who believe theologically differently than you do about this, that, or the other matter. But they're united to Christ. And sadly, over the last four years or so, having this strong union with Christ, um, I guess, frankly, in many cases for many people, was just not enough to keep things together. I mean, relationships are torn apart between a polarizing election cycle and uh, uh, matters of racial justice and um, COVID-19 and whatever the case may be, people really drew lines in the sand. Um, and some, and some, some reasons were a little bit better than others. I'm not saying that everyone's reasons were equally justified or unjustified, but nevertheless, the splintering that happened is truly remarkable. And every pastor that I talk to says the exact same thing. Um, and so, uh, but we have a union, we're united with Christ. Individual union entails corporate union with Christ. And so it's the strongest tie that we can possibly have. Having said that, I'm going to be very clear, and I made this caveat last time. Um, that is not to be confused with suggesting that people with significant yet still non-essential differences, theological differences, will be able to do every kind of ministry together. Okay, and I asked the question why last time. A couple of good answers. Why, why is that? Why is it that something like mere Christianity, bare bones gospel, is not going to be, and therefore union with Christ, as I'm defining it, is not going to be sufficient for everyone to do every kind of ministry together? Why? 
Okay, that's right. Because you got to do something and you got to do it some way, right? You've got to have some kind of plan. You got to have some kind of order. You got to have some kind of mission. You got to have some kind of ministry philosophy. You got to have some kind of whatever. And people who might all center around Jesus Christ on those things and, and are united to Christ may not agree on other things about applied theology within the life of the church. It's just the bottom line. Um, and so, for example, I'm not going to name it. I'm not, not going to name a name, but you might say, well, you have a, a good Presbyterian brother, a Pado Baptist, baptized infants, and then you have a good uh, maybe Reformed Baptist brother over here, and uh, and uh, they both become elders in the same church. Uh, in, in, in the case in the case that I'm thinking of, and another that it's about to happen. And, you know, it just seems to me odd that the congregation, the members could go to their elders and you get a different understanding of what's the nature of the new covenant, who are the candidates for baptism, what's the mode of baptism, etc. So you might think that can be overcome. I'm not saying it's, it's an objection that couldn't be overcome. But to Laura's point, because things have to actually be done and people have to answer and ask questions, simply being united to Christ is not going to be sufficient to do all kinds of ministry together. Having said that, it is sufficient to do many kinds of ministry together. What are some examples of ministries that, what again I'm calling mere Christianity, would be about all you would need to do ministry together with somebody? What do you think? Pregnancy crisis center. Pregnancy crisis center. That's right. We can partner together at the pregnancy crisis center, even if we're united around Christ. We have a gospel-centered mission, just like uh, they're, they're they're explicitly Christian. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what our theological differences are that are non-essential to the gospel of Christ. We can partner together in that kind of work. What else? What else? Someone give me one more before I give my own examples. Yeah, Christian. Feeding those at the Nashville Rescue Mission. Great. So ministry of poor. Okay, we can we can come together around the gospel and do that. Now, I will say, I don't. You could probably you could do that certainly, uh, at least as I understand their volunteer structure, and not be a Christian at all. I'm not positive about that, but I'm I'm not certain. Okay, yeah, I'm not certain. But yeah, but that would be a great example, though. So we can come together in a wide variety of ministries. What about praying? What about praying together? You know, you have a prayer meeting for our nation or whatever. You have a prayer, a call to prayer. At your, I don't know. There, the, the, you, you have. Um, certain times where there are calls to pray for certain things and you can stand arm to arm with people with whom you have very large theological differences. Um, and certainly I would say that there's a way that you can campaign together with the mere for, with mere Christianity against those who are trying to squash it. Okay? So, I mean, there there is there are very tight bonds that form between people who have, have very, very little, even in some cases theologically in common, besides the gospel, when they sense that culturally... That they are trying to get, they are, you know, someone is trying or, or, or forces are trying to snuff them out. And so all of a sudden, this distinction and this distinction doesn't come all so important to them. What comes important is, hey, these are brothers and sisters in Christ and the gospel's under assault. Okay? So you could partner together with someone against, for example, um, a prosperity gospel or by all sort or, or any other kinds of uh, theological uh, misunderstandings. Of course, Prosperity gospel is an interesting one. Probably not the best example there, but you get the point. Any questions about that, that caveat? It is key. 
It is key because you have people who are very idealistic who will say, well, if we're all Christians, then we should be able to. But, but that presupposes something that is just not the case. If we're going to do something organizationally together, there's got to be more than just being a Christian because you've got to do it some way with some people. Okay? Okay, so then we talked about that the, new, the body of Christ globally is objectively characterized by diversity. Now, do not be uh, deceived, I would say, or misunderstand what I mean by diversity, because uh, I, what I mean by diversity is what the Bible means by diversity, and we looked at a variety of examples. Let me just briefly read Galatians here, the Galatians text. Um, So he's talking about putting on Christ, that is Paul, for as many of you have, were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what he's not saying is that in light of Jesus, there aren't actually males or females, or there aren't actually uh, Jews or Greeks, and there aren't actually slaves or free people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is a unity there is a unity there so that everyone, as a result of what Christ has done, is in fact free who is united to Christ. Okay? And by the way, that is just historically one reason why the early church, one of a couple reasons why the early church um, didn't take it upon themselves to immediately call for, okay, in the, the social practice of slavery, because in the words of Oliver O'Donovan, from their minds, slaves were already free. Slaves were already free and they were living in a different world. Now they would initially they would they would they would that, that would gradually happen over time, but um, it's in, but but it is important to realize that um, their theology said, listen, there is no Jew or Greek because we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ, and so we should treat one another like that within the Christian community. Okay, master and slave. Hey, listen, y'all are on the same level. To whatever the 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 culture says, this is what we're saying. Okay, and that's what they were concerning themselves about um, in the earliest part of the church. Now, we should be very careful that I say it's the right way. Yes, oh, I have a bullet for it, perfect. You get to read it with me. Okay. So diversity is guaranteed among those who are united in Christ. Crucially this, this is a very critical statement here. The normative, meaning what we should expect, New Testament expectations for local churches, they are to be diverse, diverse in terms of having both sexes, both the single and the married, people of different ages, different church offices, weaker and stronger believers, people with different giftings, and multiple socioeconomic classes represented. Okay? Now, what does not appear in that list? Everything else. Okay. Everything else that's not in that list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. But can we just agree, though, that that's a lot of diversity? That's a lot of diversity. If the church lacked th this kind of diversity, it would be a very peculiar church. Okay, I'm not saying it, it's never, it's not possible or something, but it would be very peculiar. I mean, imagine you went to a church and it was composed from top to bottom, from member to elder to whatever, of all single people. 
or all men or all women or every single person in there was rich. I mean, it would just be odd. The normal expectation is diverse, or everyone had the same gift. Everyone was a teacher or something. It would just be a strange church. I'm not saying it couldn't be a church. I'm just saying that there is a lot of diversity expected in the New Testament church, but we have to listen to the New Testament as it says we should expect diversity as a regular normative thing. Now, why do you think the fact that despite the fact that early churches and just like churches now in metropolitan cities, we could probably expect to see a wide variety of ethnic racial diversity. When we looked at the text, when we look at the text itself, we just don't see that as a normative expectation of what your church should have. Why do you think that's the case? Sure. Okay, tell me why. So it's, he says it's impossible in a lot of areas. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Okay, so all right, so uh, and I want to I want to continue to pull on this thread here as we think about this. So what he's saying is, if you go to certain parts of the world, you mentioned Africa, so let's just go with that one. Most parts of the world, it's, it's certainly in certainly in the non-Western part of the world. Um, says, well, I mean, how are you? You know, what if you go to you're planning a church, you have a church in a place that isn't racially diverse at all. How are you going to have a racially diverse church in a place where every single person who lives within, you know, the 99% of people who live around there are a, the same race? Does that make sense? Surely you, that, 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 that church can't get dinged for quality marks because they simply are shepherding the people who live around the church, right? And the same, could th same thing could be said in some, I don't know, rural Montana and small little church that has 40 people and maybe the only folks around there are white folks. Okay? Um, what else? What else do you think? Why, why don't, what else do you think we don't see this as a normative expectation for local churches? That's certainly one good answer. I think there are probably some others. We see these reasons and as norm, we have, see these things as normative expectations. Why not? Sure. Can you say that one more time? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So what he's saying, and we're going to come back to that. It was the, you took the words out of my mouth there for something that we're going to say later. But the idea is, if this is a requirement for a healthy church, and you got to go recruit, you got to go recruit. You know, Lord, please bring us people who you want us to minister to. Well, th this this particular lot of folks showed up. It's like, oh well, we got to go recruit. Because we want to have uh, ethnic or culture or racial diversity, whatever the case may be. Um, and that leads us to something like this. Okay? 
because of the objectivity of the diversity within the body of Christ. So everyone look up here real quick. Oh, look back up. Stop reading. When I say the objectivity of diversity, I mean that in the global body of Christ, because Christ has redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, there is in fact racial diversity. There is in fact ethnic diversity in the global body of Christ. It's, it is diversified in that way, among all the other ways as well. Okay, that's what I mean by the objective diversity, along with the objective diversity that is in the top point here. Okay, now continue on. Because of the objective objectivity of the diversity within the body of Christ, combined with the kind of diversity expected within local churches, a paragraph above that, in the vast majority of cases, it is generally misguided to seek to actively diversify local churches. Actively diversify local churches. So what do you think I mean by that? I actually changed that from last time from artificially um, to actively. In, in, in general, I'm not saying that there's never, there's never a reason. I'm saying that in general, it's to, it is misguided to actively diversify local churches. Let me just say that uh, Mike just gave one. So kind of what he said is one of them. What else? Why is it generally misguided to go actively diversify your church? What's that one more time? Okay. Okay. What else? Right. Not treating people right, not doing the same. Okay. What else? Why else do you think it's generally misguided to seek to actively diversify local churches? Or, or what do you what do you think that means when, when I say that? What do you think it, when I say actively diversify? What are, what might be an example? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it okay, good. So for it presents a challenge for congregation members to think, who am I seeking to either bringing to our fellowship or in particular share the gospel with, and in hopes of bringing them in? Yeah. Did you have another one? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me summarize. I think what you're saying there is this. In many cases, to actively diversify local churches, I want more Hispanics. We love more Asian presence and more black presence, this and that. Um, what what you can't mean, and what sometimes people do mean, is they just want a more colorful church service with more people in the pews and more ethnicities represented sitting there. But what they generally don't mean, and, and for reasons we're also going to talk about, is a uh, church whose culture accommodates everybody. Right? So every church has a culture. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. Even if you try not to have a culture, you're an acultural church, and you definitely still have a brand and a culture. And so the idea of seeking to actively go diversify may not necessarily, not necessarily 
but may often uh, uh, come along with saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to change, we're going to change who we are as a church. It could be all the way up to changing certain parts of our theology. Oh, you know what? Confessionalism, that seems a little bit old school. Why don't we move away from that? We want to be, we want to draw in the most diverse crowd. And here's the thing, when you become about something specifically, and you say, like, this is who we are. This is where we're grounded. This is how we do it. You are, by definition, narrowing the field, okay? And that's not bad. It's clarifying, okay? It's a clarifying thing. But when you're kind of just about everything and everyone, you end up being kind of about nothing. You really do. And it ends up being, well, uh, this is a place for anyone, for anyone who wants to do anything, instead of here's what we are, Here's the culture of our church. Here's why we have. Here's why the culture of our church looks this way. Here's how it's developed over time uh, to where it is. But the idea that we are going to seek to go change everything to meet a some kind of diversity quotient uh, simply is is uh, is, is foolish. Um, I did, I asked. I added one more here, and that is diversity merely for the sake of optics in the culture. Just wanting to look more, look more diverse. Yes. I think the most um, problematic thing with it all is that it's a big distraction from reality. Hmm. Why? Okay. Why are we here? Yeah. yeah. What is the reason that we are diverse? The church is diverse is because Christ is the fuel in the ball. Hmm. Who are yeah? Because Christ the fuel has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. It has everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. Very good. Let me mention a couple exceptions, to what I would say exceptions to this general rule. Um, I would say that if you are hiring from outside your church for certain ministry roles, maybe they're leadership roles, maybe they're not. They're leading doing something, though. Um, that sometimes it is very wise to hire someone very specifically from a certain culture. So, for example, let's say you have a few Spanish speakers in your church and you find yourself in a community as a prime, let's just let's just say like we're around here, primarily Caucasian church, like us, okay, who finds themselves surrounded by um, a Hispanic community. You got a couple people in your church, like uh, a Josney and Caroline, who speak Spanish, and it's like, well, hey, there's an opportunity here to minister to the Hispanic community around here. It makes a lot of sense if you're trying to hire someone in for that kind of a role that they're Hispanic, that they speak Spanish. Now, all of that, of course, just to be very clear, is secondary to the person being qualified. Qualified, qualified, qualified. The first step is being qualified. Then, once you are qualified, it's, can you speak Spanish? No. Then you're probably not a great candidate to lead the Hispanic ministry. I'm sorry, you're just not, okay? Um, let's say your church is uh, 50% black and 50% white. I can't say I've ever been in such a church, but let's just say. Um, let's say that your, but your pastoral staff is 100% black or white. So the church is half, right? And the pastoral staff is 100% one or the other. And you have to make an outside hire. You have to make an outside hire. Okay. You want to look for a qualified pastor, but it might be very wise to look for a pastor who represents uh, a culturally, racially, half of the congregation. 
again, in a sea of qualified people, you might, you might say, oh, okay, this stands, it certainly stands to reason. It certainly stands to reason. We want to select the best candidate, but might that factor into what counts as the best candidate in this case provides everyone, everyone meets the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, okay? Um, and so insofar as local churches are healthy, normal expressions of the body of Christ, they are already going to be diverse in the manner expected by the New Testament. And the global body of Christ is always already going to be ethnically and uh, culturally diverse. Having said that, though, here's what I think the real issue is right here. Here's what I think the real issue is. A proper understanding of the objective nature of the diversity of the body of Christ in light of union with Christ demands that there is nothing antithetical to diversity, racial or otherwise, like Chris said, everything else, in a local church's practices. What, what, do, I, what do I mean by this? What do you think I mean? Someone paraphrase what I'm saying here. This is what's really important that we, is, is not happening in our church. Okay. Yeah. It's well. It's certainly. Okay, yeah. It's certainly permissible. Yeah. Yeah. It means going again. Oh, sorry. Was that? Was that the truth? Yeah. So there. You don't want anything. What it's saying is you don't want anything in your church uh, that is pushing back against, shunning, suppressing, going against diversity. What are you about to say? Yes, 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 yes. So your church should not have practices. That's exactly, that's exactly right. It doesn't mean that a church is seeking to, to accommodate everyone's preferences or include everyone's culture. It's just not possible. It's not feasible. It's, it's just not doable. It's not, even, it's not doable in practice. Um, again, to put it commercially a little bit, every church has a brand. Every church has a culture. It's inescapable. Um, but what it means is that a church shouldn't be characterized by practices that would be hostile to a member of the body of Christ, that would, they would feel unwelcome because they were a particular um, uh, 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 ethnicity or they were a particular race. I'm going to use Jaron right now and then ask forgiveness later if he, if he thinks this is a bad example. But I met with him the first time, and I was impressed by him as everyone else is. I remember saying, does it bother you that our church is a group of pasty white folks? And um, he said, no. I said, he, and his answer was as honest as it could be. He said uh, 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 I, I, something very similar to, you know, do I wish that maybe there were more black people in the congregation? Yes. But is it something that bothers me or is going to make me not join some kind of fellowship? No. That's exactly, I can't, I can't imagine a healthier, I can't imagine a healthier res response, a healthier reply. Would this thing be nice? Would this be this? Yeah, I think it would. Is that something for me that's like, near the top of my list or something, or something that's going to move the needle in my decision-making? No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, and, and so what we don't want to do is have practices that would make people feel unwelcome or that would shun people on behalf of their race or behalf of their culture. Um, let me ask you a question. What are some examples of practices that might do that? 
What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And 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 so hopefully, I mean, and then again, hopefully you see that diversity is normative. Hopefully that diversity is already there. But you're right. I mean, if if there are, and that's more culture. But if there were practices tied to that, it would certainly make people feel like you don't belong here, right? And it's certain. Oh. <laughs> the old ski trip. Yes. Great. Yeah. So that would be a practice that certainly communicates to certain people like, you know, now they, they need to make qualifications about scholarships and, and this and that. But but point is very well taken. Good example. And any other um, any other examples of practices that might display a disapproval of diversity, discourage, actively suppress that kind of thing. Yes, sir. Okay. You're trying to go a different route. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In our corporate gathering. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I haven't thought of that, but I think, yeah, does that really, does that encourage... So if we have one of our objective diversities as people of all ages, are we actively discouraging are actively discouraging that in our corporate body? Yeah. Yeah, Susan. Did you raise your hand? I thought, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that's a great another another great one. And that's a different that's a certain kind of diversity that uh, and that's why we don't that's why we don't politic from our pulpit. We don't. And we've had people be very upset with us about that, leave the church because this and that, and we weren't willing to, you know, talk about certain news channels. And it's just, that's just not what we're here to do. That's to, to Ben's point, it undercuts why we're here. Okay. And my hope is that Union with Christ can sustain differences over what uh, news channels people watch or hopefully don't watch. All right. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, so we're hey, we have a church that we want to be characterized by weaker and stronger believers, but we set it up so that no one can grow or that the weaker believers feel shame for act, asking questions. And it could be weaker, or it could just be less mature, just in general. They're a newer believer. Um, uh, so yeah, really good examples here. We uh, I knew the discussion would uh, be robust on this. Let me let me just make sure I can get through this here. I, I do uh, I do need to table that and move on. Great thoughts, great thoughts. Um, let me ask you. Let me just ask you this question here. I was talking with a group of pastors about this in our Southeast Pastors Fraternal. Because again, you even have to think about this one with a little bit of nuance here. So I have a friend, Juan Natal, he pastors Renovacion Church over there on my side of town. And it is a church that is composed of 100% Hispanic people. And he's a Hispanic pastor, and there's a Hispanic community over there. Now, does it represent the vast majority of people in the whole area? No, it doesn't, but there's a sizable Hispanic community. Now, here's the thing. Their service is in Spanish. 
So let me ask, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a trick question, right? Is that a practice that actively discourages diversity? Okay, no, and tell me why. Okay, yeah, so, so excellent. So there are, there are certain examples where there is unavoidably people who are not going to be as well accommodated, particularly when it has to do with language and particularly when it has to do with reaching people of a particular culture. Now, to be clear, we are not trying to reach white culture, whatever that is, and I don't know what that even means, honestly, but we're not trying to reach... As far as I can tell, we're not trying to reach any particular culture, but certainly our ministries and are geared towards English speakers. Okay, our ministries geared towards English speakers because that's the only uh, language that everyone in here, I think, besides Josney and Caroline and and Katie, even know. Okay, and so it makes sense that that is what how we are going to conduct the public ministry of the word and interact with each other. And the fact that that's not going to be conducive for somebody. Who, does, who, has a, who, who doesn't speak English at all uh, is not really supposed to be a problem. It, wouldn't be a, it would be a problem in any church anywhere at any time uh, if someone walked in and didn't speak the language. However, there are even now tools, we're looking at some through sermon audio that will transcribe some of our sermons and such into, uh, into Spanish so that uh, people who have trouble following along um, can still benefit from that. Okay, let me ask this question. Uh, should churches in the 21st century look like the community around them? Why or why not? Yep. I think that they inevitably do. Okay. But I think that the around them has gotten a lot bigger. Okay. So, so, so we can reach. <laughs> okay. But I think that it, it would Around. be a mistake, probably, to drive 100 miles. Because by doing that, how many churches are you having? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. So who wants to pull that thread a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Geographically, yeah. That the church should represent the eth ethnicity, generally speaking, the ethnic breakdown of the folks who live around the church. Well, so we're talking about, so yes, so fair qualification. So we're still talking about ethnic and racial diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so much. No. Yeah, we're not talking about people who are living in sinful lifestyles. We're not talking about just, yeah, we're talking about diversity. We might go broader than just racial and ethnic, but, but not people... Living in sinful lifestyles. Korea, believers, yeah, believers around a community around you, believers around you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yours is maybe, maybe not. Okay, what else? Any other thoughts on that one? Yes, sir. I always open up cans, but yeah, go ahead. yeah. You say should. I'm sorry. Stay that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I appreciate the comment. Let me tell you why it asked the question, something like this. Well, let's just say um, that you have a diverse community of folks around your church, geographically around your church, and there's nothing to your knowledge that you are doing to actively discourage diversity, and yet your church still does not um, manifest the kind of diversity that's physically present in your community. Then what do you say? I mean, would you ever step back and say, why is that? Why is that? Yes, no, there's both, the, I've got heads nodding both ways, and I love it. Go, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, no. Well, you. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So and you're and so so yeah. So you're saying yeah. This is say a church is particularly racially homogenous. Maybe it's white. Maybe it's black. Maybe it's Hispanic. Maybe it's Asian. Whatever the case may be. Um, who cares? Is the gospel being preached? Are people being loved? Are disciples being made? Very well then. Okay. So so what what. What is there to say about some kind of principle like this? Right, in the ways, that's right, in the other ways. They're just not diverse in the ways of the cultural moment. Yeah, yeah. Were you about to say something else? Well, I would just say that I think you were right when you started by saying if we look around and we're seeing, I think you were right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's highly unlikely that the answer is also that question would be no. Yeah. Everything's just perfect. Yeah. Because why not? Why would somebody who lives next door not at least consider? Perhaps, yeah. Well, let me, yeah, I think that's the driving force behind the question and why it has appeal. Let me just make one. I I thought I was going to be able to finish this up today, but let me just. this part up, but we'll move into the next, we'll finish it up and move into the next section next time. I knew that there'd be a lot of good discussion on this one. You know, in the first century church, but, uh, well, let me back up. Bethlehem and Jerusalem, about five and a half, six miles apart. Okay. But it would have been unthinkable for someone who lived in Jerusalem to go to a church in Bethlehem in the first century. Wouldn't even have been something that anyone even considered in their wildest imagination that you could live in Jerusalem and go to church six miles down the road. Now, who does anyone live within six miles of our church? Are you within six? No, Crouches? Close. So, a couple people, but it's real close, right? Maybe we have a couple people, or Madison folks, live a close. Everyone else is no. And why is that? Well, the question is based on a presupposition that there is kind of the parish model of church, where there's kind of one church in the middle of a big circle that's diverse, and the people who go to church proportionally will be represented in the congregation. It's the only one there. But people go to church 
they don't just go to church because it's the church nearby anymore because of things like cars. And so what you can do is you can go to a church that has expository preaching if you want to and more rigorous church membership or in our case, reform theology or whatever the case may be. And that trip might have taken someone walking a full day, maybe longer to get to in the first century, but it can be accomplished quickly for us. Um, now, uh, certainly that brings with it its own challenges. And uh, we as pastors have scratched our heads for a long time when we're like, okay, let's make disciples in the community. And the question is always, which, which one? I live in Smyrna. I drove 38 minutes, 40 minutes. Actually, my wife drove this morning to get here. Okay, which our community, Goodlettsville, Springfield, Madison, like wh wh which community? And so we have our own, that presents its own challenges. So the, the, the ability to go somewhere for something very specific um, has some big upsides for people because, let me be honest, isn't there a reason that you're not going to the church right down the road from your house? Okay, there's probably a reason in most people's case, and most people have a good reason for not going to the church. At least they would say it's a good reason. Okay, and I'm okay with that. But that's because of you have a car, right? And and if you didn't have a car and there were no other believers around that you could walk, you would probably go there and try to make a difference and be an influencer and try to influence for the good instead of going to a church where it's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm looking for. So, all right, a lot of good discussion to be had here. Thank you for it. If you have any further questions, come, let's, let's have further conversations about these things. You know, I love having the conversations. Uh, unity and diversity in light of the body of Christ, in light of union with Christ, as we continue to apply this doctrine. Let's close in prayer. God, we are thankful for the way that you have built your church. We are thankful for the diversity present within it. We're thankful for the gifts and the graces given in our local body, and we pray that you would fan those things into flame. Lord, we also pray for your blessing on, our, uh, on the following service, that you would be uh, lifted up, magnified. Uh, the preaching of the words, our prayers, the singing, the supper. In Jesus' name, amen.